Tonight we do the oak tree. Charles Oakley takes on a small army in front of thousands of fans in MSG and the odds were heavily in his favor. The king calls the reporter trash for putting his name in his mouth. Phil takes a Drake-like shot at Mello. Even Steph takes a shot at Prez and puts the CEO of Under Armour on notice. What is going on with the harmony that led to a labor agreement without any threat of work stoppage? And Tom Brady, everybody's favorite, Michigan's next and culture, wins his fifth chip and reaches GOAT status. But some of his teammates' celebration won't go beyond the streets of Boston. And you definitely know they're not going to Pennsylvania Avenue. This is One Mike on RSG. This thing right here is for my people's in the Yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this one might be. There is a pause throughout the stadium as this man sounds like he just coughed up a lung. They're looking around. The jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need uh, CPR or something? And then at that particular time, I lost it. <laughs> Devon dropped Yes, 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 today. Love Talk you know, Radio. Show this one, Mike. Phoenix is another place. They got a great uh, training staff. I mean, they, they were able to breathe life back into Shaq. And if you can do that, then people talk a lot about their training staff. Love, love. Yes, yes, today, you know, as we are. Good to go. Yes, go, man. <laughs> it's been a rough start. We started like the Knicks. Boy. Yes. Boy, I gotta I gotta call my people at blog and say what's going on out here. You know, had my intro set up, had the whole thing locked down, and then uh we've been bamboozled. We've been run amok. I feel like Charles Oakley right now. But we'll get to that in a minute. This <laughs> <laughs> is crazy over here. All week it doesn't start with stop with the RSD. As usual we brought to you by the fellows of that Carbon World Health. Uh, go to CarbonWellHealth.com and uh, check out Dr. Nestor Rodriguez and the folks and uh, get uh, understand what's going on with the whole kind of med spa experience. I want to thank them. They've been uh, helping me out a lot. we got some big announcements here coming up uh, with Carbon World Health here uh, up in the next few days uh, to go. But we got a full show. Uh, it's, it's Hank and I with the podcast. We're going to drop another studio album here. It's going to be some good stuff. We might have started out rough, but we're going to come on strong. We're going to come on like uh, 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 like Belleville DeVoe here with the second album. <laughs> uh, as you know, so how you doing, Hank? How's it going? How's it been? How you been doing? Bless the mic. Tell me how you feeling today. Man, let me tell you something. It's always a blessing to be in front of the mic, you know, just to be able to talk a little bit about what's going on in the sports world, to let our hair down a little bit, get out of the – the rough and the rigors of the everyday life and kind of like set back a little bit and kind of, you know, spit a little bit about what's going on, you know, just to, you know, just to kind of like get to lighten the mood. That's what we're here to do, people. You know, here we are a couple of days away 
from Valentine's Day, you know, and we want to be able to share a little bit of RSG love with you, you know, from the bottoms of our hearts to let y'all know that we still love you and we still on top of it for you, you know, and if don't nobody else love you, we love you. That's right. We do love you. And it's been a, it's, it's been a crazy time since the last time we were uh, 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 on board. We had, we had uh, what we're going to call it the Oak Street Night. The Oak Tree Night, Charles Oakley taking on a small army uh, in the in the garden. Uh, we had uh, the king uh, calling out reporters, uh, calling out uh, 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 legends who are, who are, who are, who are who are coming at him. We got we got Phil taking great shots at Mello, you know, kind of subliminal. Didn't have to come out and apologize say that was going. We even had to coming out against CEO or Under Armour after his kind of. Uh, Endorsement of uh, 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 President Trump and uh, uh, really putting him on notice in terms of uh, uh, questioning whether or not Under Armour is going to take on those values. We got all kinds of stuff. This is after Tom Brady, who uh, I'm now calling uh, Michigan football's version of Ann Coulter, uh, wins uh, wins another Super Bowl and puts on a miraculous performance. I know Hank. I know you uh, were, uh, dancing in your room uh, in your amazing blue draws. Uh, so it's all going down And we got cats uh, refusing to go to Pennsylvania Avenue We're going to hit it all uh, today uh, well, just, just for the man. record Just for the record I want to put this out there Just for the record I was dancing around in my amazing blue drawers Before the game came on So I just wanted to make that right So it had nothing to do with Tom Brady <laughs> <laughs> So my brother So I had all of this planned Yeah I sent you to run down then I turned on the TV last night in game, and I see Durant and Westbrook going up, and it's wild. It's dang out of control. I don't know if you had a chance to see the game. It's dang out of control in there. Westbrook is losing his mind. Durant is killing him, you know, uh, goes straight up by 18. Crowd's going crazy. They call him a cupcake. What is going on out there? Listen, what, was your, what were your thoughts on Durant returning to OKC? You know, let me tell you something. Um, one thing you have to understand, well, I'm going to tell you, uh, this ain't your your father's NBA that we're watching, okay? And I heard, uh, you know, and ESPN really wanted to bring the hype to this thing, okay? They were there all day long. If you turned on your TV and you went to the Full Letter Network, they were up there talking about Westbrook, and they were talking about Durant, and they were talking about all the good they did for the community and everything, which was a great and noble story. Then you get to the game, right? And they want you to lead you to believe that there's all of this animosity between Westbrook. There's all this animosity with 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 uh, between Westbrook and Durant, and, and they just going and they just jawing, and they ain't supposed to be in everybody's face. Okay, now. D, I'm going to tell you what what they were what what the average fan saw, and I'm going to tell you what I saw. They saw a lot of bad blood. The average fan, they saw these guys John. They saw these guys going after each other. I'm going to tell you what I saw. Okay, or well, let me tell you what I didn't see. I did not see one hard foul. I saw a lot of get up in the face. I saw a lot of John uh, uh, between players about 15, 20 feet from each other. 
I saw Westbrook kind of bump his boy going down the floor. I didn't see no retaliation. I also saw Kevin Durant hang 34 points. I also saw Westbrook hang 47 points. I saw a score of 130 to 114. I didn't see no bench clearing. I didn't see nobody getting anybody's grill, pushing each other like they were really pissed off. I saw a lot of theater. I saw somebody go and hire somebody and say, I want you to act real mad right here. I want you to do this, that. I saw a bunch of theater. I saw reality TV, and I saw producers put that thing on. 130 to 114, okay? That means ain't nobody getting fouled hard. Ain't nobody intimidated by anybody else. Everybody doing what they want to do. They just know that all the cameras is on there. They want people to believe these guys can't stand each other. I didn't see it on the floor. I saw the same thing you saw. I saw a little bump in here, a little bump in there, a little jaw in here when they're going back to the bench. But they were on the floor with each other, right? And I watched Magic Johnson, who liked Isaiah Thomas, knock him to the floor hard, okay? I didn't see none of that yesterday. Didn't see none of it. So there was no messages sent. Everybody got what they wanted, and now they're going to get into in front of the media microphone and act like, uh, you know, they were really pissed off. That's that was my take. So what you're saying is, what we theater. got was theater, theater, and theater. You like didn't get you theater. didn't get nothing but theater. And I was listening to a report. There was even a report where they both were at the same restaurant in two different areas with two different groups. Now, if y'all really had it going on, there might have been a fight in the restaurant. Thank you. you know, and, and, and that's some old school stuff. And, you know, it was over before it started. So, in some ways, you're right. It's a lot of hype because I watched the game, and, I, and the way the fans are going, I looked at the score, I'm like, man, maybe it's a six-point game. And I'm like, they down 18. They getting their doors and, blown off. Ain't nobody getting knocked down. Ain't nobody starting. Now, this, here's the thing I got, I got to say this that kind of irritated me, okay? If I'm a – if, if I've heard of this animosity between Westbrook and Durant this entire time, okay, you're going to sit here and tell me you're going to let this man come in with his new team, blow your doors off, hang 130 on your team in your gym, and you ain't going to elite. You hung your 47, the game is over. You're not going to send a message? You're not going to send a message? You're not going to sit around here and say, y'all not punking us like y'all might punk us on the scoreboard, but you're not punking me like that. You're not going to send no message. Now, look, we all play sports. We know what this is all about, right? At some point, if you got any dog in you, it kind of comes out and bites even when it ain't supposed to. I saw none of that yesterday. Theater with a capital T. None of it. And so I was trying to figure out, you know, (laughs) the one thing I will say about Rush, he's going to leave it all on the floor. You know, he basically was coming into the fight shorthanded. You know, Oladipo didn't bring, you know, his Robin, you know, and these are two different te- these are teams at two different developmental states. Right. It's like, you know, you can't – I know Russ wants to, to be able to battle, but he's really rebuilding his squad. You know, this team, I think, will be much better in April and much better to play. You know, they still need another score. And so, you know, in some ways he's fighting – He's going up in this battle, which I give him some – he's still battling. He's still talking, but he's basically coming in that fight with with, 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 with a pea shooter. And Durant right. is just coming in taking it all out. And I think that, you know, and so in some way, you know, Durant's almost playing like a front runner in a sense. And so it, it was a weird dynamic. Um, 
that was lost in it. But at the end of the day, you know, it ended like all the other three games. You know, basically blowouts, Durant scoring nearly 40 points, Russ having a great game, but not very competitive. And, I, you know, I don't think those two franchises are going to be competitive until Russ, some of the young guys he has actually can develop and, and be players. You know, for Oladipo, this is, you know, he's, he's, he's learning to come onto this stage. Uh, he's been injured. They haven't had a chance to really figure out how they're going to play together. And it's hard to be in that kind of rivalry. But you're right, even with that, you know, I was surprised that Adams wasn't, you know, didn't have that hard file when he went to the bank. This is what you I'm know, saying. Usually, okay, this... usually it's a guy like Adams is supposed to, you know, be the Bill Lamb here at the group in, in, their, in their modern-day version, meaning, you know, a exactly. little bump, a little Here's, 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 here's where I got to blame Westbrook, okay? Now, at some point, all right, what's going on on the scoreboard? What's going on in your personal stats? You know, has to take a back seat as to what are you trying to do with your team? What is the message are you trying to send to your squad? All right, don't 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 get all caught up. You you got your fans calling Kevin Durant cupcake, cupcake, cup. They hollering cupcake, right? So what you do then? That's your cue. I take the next ball and I take it and I put my knee right in your chest. Okay, whether I make the foul, whether I get whether I get called for the foul, whether you block my shot, whatever, I'm coming right after you. That's what you do. If I'm the leader of the team, I got to do something unconventional. Whether I know that uh, you know we're 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 in a rebuilding stage, I am the undisputed leader, not just on the scoreboard, but in the locker room. And so this is what we do to players that do this to us. We don't let them come into our gym and you know score all these points. And then don't bloody their nose a little bit. I didn't see it. All I saw was lip service. That disappointed me. It really did. You know, like you said, Durant didn't have to do anything. He did what he wanted to do. He pretty much was untouched. He hung his 34. He was hanging. He was shooting from anywhere on the floor he wanted to shoot. Pretty much uncontested. Okay? All you saw was the little theater pushes and shoves and the, I'm going to get in your face with my hands down around my waist. That's a bunch of, that's, that's, that's wimpy. Okay, I'm going to clean it up because it's Sunday, and you know, and, and we on the air. But that's what that was. That was a worst move, you know, on on the uh, on 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 on, on the uh, Thunder's part. You know, go in, go go hard to the floor, go hard to the to the to the rim. Put your foot right in his nose. Okay, whether you make the make the shot or not, send a message. That wasn't done. All that hype, and to me, it was very underwhelming. Well, and I think you hear one thing, and if you take it from the OKC side, you know, if, as you're rebuilding, the one thing you have to do is you have to establish and um, frame how games are going to be played in your arena. You know, one of the first things that I, I always say about, you know, building, you know, great franchises, you got to start from the inside out, meaning that whether it's whatever sport it is, you establish that home court, there is an advantage. You establish mm-hmm. that this is a tough place to play. You establish, and and I would say the OKC fans, because of the way they, it's almost like the college atmosphere has always been that way, have earned uh, that right to have a team that plays that way. And so, right. you know, regardless of what goes on, you know, whether or not they blow you out in in in, 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 in when you play against Gold State in their gym, when they come to your gym, it's a dog fight. That means we're gonna rough it up. We're gonna mix it up. We're not giving you anything, and, and you didn't feel that that level, that level of competition. I think that's where Russ is less about him and Durant. It's about how he's building capacity around the guys around him 
to be ready for that level of play. That's, and I'm that's, not saying that he's not doing it, but I'm not I'm not seeing it produced on the floor, particularly with someone like Ola Depot and somebody some someone like that who's athletic enough to match up and do something. If nothing else, Ola Depot, you shut down who you playing against. We might not shut everybody else down, but you mm-hmm. shut down. We play good sound, sound team defense. You know, guys are making mistakes. You know, uh, on screens over. You know, instead of just talking and switching, just simple stuff. They were getting backdoor cut all day. You know, let's stick to what we do and be disciplined and not get caught up in the moment. And I think that's where Russell's leadership has got to come through. He, they, they, he does. You're absolutely correct on that. I, but, again, you know, when you – I think that if I'm a fan of the uh, Thunder, okay, losing is not the worst thing in the world. It's how you lose, okay? Yeah. The fact that you had uh, three players all over 25 points, you had Thompson and Curry score 26 points each, and then Durant led the, all their scoring with 34. You had Westbrook with 47, Oladipo with 20, then you didn't have nothing else. Okay, this is what's going to be the problem with the Thunder all season, all right, because Westbrook got his, but what you saw was a very uncompetitive game. You had a lot of points scored, which, again, I will go back to say, they hung 130 on them. 130 points on this team, man, when they were supposed to have been so hyped. There was supposed to have been so much bad blood with all these ex-teammates, and they got their doors blown off. So there's nothing else to be said about this, okay? If any narrative is going to be written about that game is that Durant was right to leave, okay? That's what you saw, that without him, you really didn't have much of a supporting cast outside of Westbrook who's going to get his regardless. All right, so this is what we discussed last year. So we saw all of that in that game yesterday. They had everything, and I'm talking about the Thunder, to at least prove, to bloody their nose, to do something to show that y'all are cupcakes or you are a cupcake for leaving. None of that happened. You know, you, you basically opened the door, and y'all were gracious hosts, and they blew your doors off, and they left. And nobody was even – and they left without a scratch, and that was disappointing. Worse off, I heard uh... – uh, uh, Draymond and folks, and they and they got some of the cupcake shirts to take as a souvenir. It's yeah. like, man, it's like, well, the saga's going to continue. We're going to we're not going to spend too much time on it. Um, you know, then we have LeBron again. Reporter comes out, uh, Frank Isola, um, again around uh, LeBron and uh, Kevin Love being traded in that trade, and LeBron basically. You know, insults him, insults his report. And a lot of people are passionate about, but I, I, I kind of like this LeBron. <laughs> I mean, you and I have touched it on a little bit. I, I'm, just, now, I'm not going to be a nice guy. He like the old guy get to the point where I'm, I'm tired of just being nice and put it correct. And I like mm-hmm. this LeBron. I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, I like him just saying, forget it. You know, I, I, you know, I like the way he went back to Charles Barkley. Like, look, I've never been in trouble. I've done that but you in the community. You know, you. I mean, I like for some reason I like this LeBron. I don't know how you feel about it, but you know, you know, LeBron basically like my name is my name, and I, you know, people better be careful before his name come out their mouth. How do you feel about this LeBron you've been seeing recently? You have to again. You have to be careful uh, where you are when you're LeBron James. I did applaud him on what he did with uh, Charles Barkley. All right. Um, but he has put himself in a position in there over in Cleveland where, you know, it's his, it is his franchise. 
that's very dangerous when you're the player, when it's your franchise solely, okay, and that you're just going to make all the calls and you're going to do all these different things. Now, it's almost an unwritten rule. You can go back again to the golden age of hoop, and you knew that Michael Jordan had decisions to be made for the Bulls. You knew that Larry Bird had decisions. Kobe Bryant had decisions made on the Lakers. You know, Shaq had decisions. That happened. But they kind of, like, played it a little bit, okay? They, they Even Dwayne Wade, they played it a little bit, all right? So it, they, they had that control, but you didn't know about it. That's a dangerous game because in the event that Cleveland fails, if that happens at all, that also falls on LeBron James for meddling, all right, in, in the places where he shouldn't meddle. So he's got to be careful with that. He's got to balance that. That's what I'll give him. You know, he shouldn't be talking trades. He's not the GM. He shouldn't be talking about player personnel issues. He's not the coach. All right, now he can say, well, you know, we this, that, because what it ends up being is some, somewhere it can also look like that he's disrespecting the players that's on that team right now who, by the way, won a championship this last year. He's got to be careful going into that arena. Now, yeah, it's cool to be outspoken, but he's got to be very, very careful because, again, he, he, he's delving into places he really ain't got no, no business delving in with the media because it, it can cause a divisiveness in that locker room. But I think on the other side, I think in the media side, it's gotten okay to hit on LeBron because most people didn't feel like he was going to snipe back. You know, I think some people say some outlandish things about LeBron just because he's he probably going to tear the other cheek. And I think sometimes you, 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 need to, you need to get him off you, you know. And I think I love the way you described, like, the accountability. Because I think the person who was probably seen as, more of a puppet or, or, or believed to be, you, you know, you and I, one of our favorite teams, Isaiah, and Lambeer and them in Detroit. You know, right. it, was, it was pretty well known that, you know, they had a pretty close connection with the front office. Um, they had a philosophy. Everybody was on the same page, including the coach. And you had to come in, and, and, and there was a way to do it. And, it, you know, personnel moves you know, as much as they tried to keep it out of it, you know they were going to be involved because there's a way in which they wanted to run the organization. And Absolutely. so, but they were okay with the truth, <laughs> you know, in some ways. They were okay with people looking down on it. They were okay with it. So, like you're saying, if you're going to do that, you got to be okay with if it doesn't go well. You know, if the Mark, if the Mark McGuire trade doesn't go well, then Zeke and Lamb and all those guys got to deal with it. <laughs> right. You know, you know, because when that trade happened, we all were like, oh, we hope that work out. You know, and you it, and you couldn't just put it on the cap. You know, and so you know, if 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 all that happened, then you got to live with it. But I think they were ready, they were prepared to live with it because winning mattered so much. And you're right. So if you're gonna live there, you got to be willing to do the heat. But I think it's also, you know, like I always told you the story about when my mother was going for Golden State, and she's a great woman. And, and, and they had a problem with LeBron. It, it just blew me back. I couldn't mm-hmm. believe it. We laugh about it all the time. And I'm like, all this shit, all this dude does, uh, he does stuff for his community. He does all this stuff. Like, he ain't never been in trouble. <laughs> you ain't never heard him do nothing. And, you know, there's things you might be scrutinized about his game, but when you're talking about what you want a pro to be, he's been a pro since, like, he was 18 years old. And right. 
And so I think some people take liberty with that. And so for that, I, I would appreciate him saying, you know what, I'm a grown man. I'm not that 18, 22-year-old guy or that 25, 26-year-old guy that y'all just felt like, you know, I was just going to turn it cheek. I'm at a point right now where I'm not turning the cheek. And for me, I appreciate that um, with with understanding, like you said, anytime you are talking about improving, that means you are talking about your teammates not doing enough, and that's right. always got to be a balance. Exactly. I agree with you that. I agree with you on that one. Man, so we'll come back. There's going to be more on that saga with LeBron. We're going to wrap this up in a bow here. Brady in the pack. The comeback was incredible. Um, and uh, uh, we are, we're trying to um, uh, uh, get to a point where we're trying to understand what happened. Um, and uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a incredible. But, but then, and I hadn't asked you this, is the come, was the comeback more on Brady? Was the comeback on Atlanta? Was a little bit of both. I want to get that. And I was missing to have you, you know, we want to do the podcast a little bit earlier. And so a lot of people have done this, but I want to definitely get your perspective on when you watch that game and you start seeing that fourth quarter unfold. What were your perspective? Well, let me tell you, I thought the game was over, okay? I, like a lot of fans, thought that game was over. In fact, on social media, I put down with that Super Bowl in the past, okay? It was 28-3, to all right? You're not supposed to be you're not supposed to be able to come back from with uh from the Cleveland Browns at twenty eight to three, D. That's a game over. All right? So that game was supposed to have been over. We talked about it in our last podcast. It was supposed to have been a defining moment for the city of Atlanta for this franchise. It was over. All right? Uh to Tom Brady's credit, what he did and what the Patriots did was not give up. Okay, but you knew that about this team. We always knew that as long as Tom Brady was behind center, that there's always mm-hmm. going to be a shot. That being said, I've thought about this long and hard, and keep in mind, yes, you know, I was one of those that wanted the, the University of Michigan grad to be, you know, the greatest of all time um, for no other reason that he was a University of Michigan, you know, athlete. And, we, and when you're amazing blue once, you're amazing blue forever. But that being said, there were some disturbing things if I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan that I saw in that fourth quarter that, you know, looked very much like a choke job. And it's hard to say, call a team that, that's gotten all the way to the Super Bowl. But let me just break this down a little bit. Because everybody uh, who's watched that game uh, points to the strip uh, sack on, um, on, on Ryan, which led to points for the New England Patriots. But anybody watching that game saw a, de- a definite speed advantage for Atlanta. They saw what Atlanta's running backs looked like. And whether they were getting a whole lot of yards or not, they were dangerous. They were always one step away of breaking the big play, and they did that. You get to the fourth quarter, you're up by three scores. And for some reason, for some reason, the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons felt it necessary to keep on trying to attack way down the field when the clock was on his side. The clock was an enemy of the New England Patriots. Now let's fast forward to when the game was 28-20. to 20, All right, let's fast forward to right there. And you've seen what will be arguably be one of the greatest catches in Super Bowl history that was made 
by Julio Jones, an absolutely amazing catch. That should have been ball game. You had two capable uh, running backs. You only had two timeouts for the New England Patriots. You're already in field goal range. Now it's time to play to win the game, okay? And all of a sudden, for some reason, they decided to do a seven-step drop and try to put the dagger in a team, and maybe that was overthinking, but you had your defense playing well at this point. You had to also give your defense a chance to rest. None of those things transpired. And all those who saw the game, you know, the rest was history. You gave Tom Brady an opportunity at the end of a game to do what Tom Brady has been doing his entire career, and he succeeded. And there wasn't a fan nowhere on this planet that thought that the Falcons was going to win if they tied that game and New England got the ball first in overtime. Everybody knew the game was over at that point. Now, that's the greatness of Tom Brady. The greatness of Tom Brady is a 91-yard drive at the end of a Super Bowl when you're down eight points. That's the greatness of Tom Brady, making sure that your uh, opponent never gets the ball back and you win your fifth Super Bowl. That's the greatness of Tom Brady, not losing your composure, okay, when the game looks bad and watching a team that has never been there before make some glaring mistakes and you take advantage of them. That's the greatness of Tom Brady. Those are the things that Tom Brady has did and has done his entire career. And you can give it to Bill Belichick or anybody else, but the fact that you are in that situation time and time and time again, and you're the one with the five rings, that's what makes him the greatest of all time. But make no mistake about it, it the Atlanta Falcons absolutely contributed to the, to the GOAT being the GOAT this time. You're right, uh, in the sense that um, – they, yeah, they basically had to, if you just ran 40 seconds off the clock, they basically had to run the ball. And all, in, in all the, 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 the series that led to the sack fumble, just run the ball three times. You know, you, 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 you run the ball and punt, you, you're going to run about three or four minutes off the clock. They don't have a chance to come back. And so, you know, it's, it's the basic math. It's the, you know, sitting down and not panicking in the moment. Uh, but then at the same time, you, you have to be ready to take advantage of mistakes that people have coming up. So then they celebrate, they go back, and now you, you, you have to prepare that all champions try to do, they got to go to the White House. And right away, Brother Bennett said he's not going. McCordy said he's not going. And they start, now they have about six or seven, including uh, Chris Long, who said they're not going. Mm-hmm. Now, Brady, in the previous time, Brady is though. No one made a big deal out of it. Then we're hearing about this wanting to take a team vote. It's it, it, gotten a little bit crazy. But this whole idea, when you start hearing the backlash about going to the White House, you know, it, not just for this one, it's going to be interesting about some of these future championships. You know, what are some of your thoughts around how the players reacted to um you know, saying that they, they weren't going to go to the White House and not feeling that that's a place that represented them and kind of the, the – Well, let me tell you. I mean, this is nothing new, okay? So whether it's the New England Patriots, whether it was the Detroit Pistons when uh, 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 George W. Bush was in the White House, whether it's whoever. You know, you had players that didn't go when uh, Barack Obama was was president. They They chose not to for a lot of reasons. The only reason why this is a a story oh, is because this is the first championship team in 2017 under this president 
that's now going to uh, go to the White House and, be, and visit the, the president. You're talking about one of the most divisive elections in United States history, and you're talking again about the first uh, championship team to to visit. So it's going to be a story, um, and and it's going to be more of a story because of the news cycle that seems to go on every day. All right, I think that any other year, you would probably get players say, "I decline to go." Had Hillary Clinton won, you would have players that would decline to go. You had Tom Brady who declined to go when Barack Obama was there. You know, all of a sudden, you know what? You want to vilify these guys, but it is, but it, but it is what it is. Um, again, because of what has transpired now in United States history over the course of the last several months, this is a big story. This is a huge story. You have people in the media that I'm telling you are pulling for probably uh, greater than 50% of that team not showing up as a, as a, as a sign of um, as, as, as a sign of solidarity. So you have all of this going on. So I'm not surprised. Uh, so I don't think that, that I don't think as a whole it would be a story unless except for what's happened now in the, in the country over the course of the last several months. It's not, yeah, it's one of those things where, It's not only been politicized, but then it's been racialized. So if we're black and you go to the White House, then you sold out. So now you, now you, uh, uh, you, uh, you like Kanye. You're in the Kanye camp because you met with Trump. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's been interesting. I mean, Chris Long's re- reaction when people didn't realize he wasn't going because he said he wasn't mad. And so you know, we're not even asking the white players whether or not they're going. It gets racialized, and like you said, it's nothing new. The best story I heard today was uh, when uh, the Bulls went, Craig Hodges went in the first Bush, he took a list of black commands with him to the White House. You know, mm-hmm. so, so there's a way to use that visit in a way that's political uh, in a lot of different natures. And, and like you said, now it's, this has always had a political element to it, and it's now being, um, like you said, given the recent elections, uh, being there. And Billy on that, I mean, I'm kind of bringing the story together, is that, you know, then you hear, you know, Steph, the Under Armour uh, CEO, um, who, uh, uh, you know, on, you know, on a, basically, you know, uh, I think it was on CNBC, so it was more business-focused, talked about uh, the value of Trump, and he said from perspective of business, and said that he was an asset. <laughs> that was basically, you know, he heard what he said, but basically take away the, uh, the E and the T. Um, and yeah. so... And for me, for Steph Curry to be the book, what I love about Steph is, and I think more players do this, you need to do this, is that he was he was basically challenging the CEO in terms of um, making sure that it wasn't adopting certain values. So he leveraged his position as their top celebrity that marketing um, around, you know, really checking where your values are. What did you think about what you heard about Steph and his reaction in, in the way that he, what I would say, leveraged his position? You know what? He, again, all right, it's it's the climate in which we live in, D, and mm-hmm. everybody has taken a solid position. And I heard the, the Under Armour, I heard that he said he thought that the president was an asset. And, you know, Steph came out and said he was, a, and they took out the E.T., as you said. And people were shocked by that, by by Steph Curry. 
simply because Steph Curry has really branded himself, and, and maybe that's a bad term, but it is what it is. He has branded himself as a Christian basketball player. All right? Now, he's got shirts and things out there saying proud to be a Christian. All right? So having said that, he has to be careful how he presents himself. Now, that's on him, all right? That's solely on him. So if he wants to call the man an ass, then that's pretty derogatory based upon, you know, where he's branding himself. And people see that as being hypocritical. In this world that we're in, and especially in this heightened political climate, how you, you know, bring your message out is going to be scrutinized by everybody. Again, these celebrities and people using their celebrity to voice their opinion. And 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 it's the right of every American. It's the First Amendment of the right. You have the freedom of speech, but you have to also understand yourself. Now, these are folks that you've also got an endorsement with for these gym shoes, all right. So you're going to call the the chairman an ass, all right. But also brand yourself as a Christian. You have to be careful. There was I, if what? you ask if you're going to brand yourself that way, maybe there was a more uh, productive, dare I say, a more a selective way of of uh, speaking your displeasure on him and his uh, pretty much endorsement of the president. I'll give him credit to him for that. I like good people in it, but also I think what Steph did was he, he's also re- reminding people that he normally he doesn't normally see before it, it, um, endorsements were always perceived as one way, right? It was the player getting benefit because. Nike wanted to let you endorse, but I, I think what Steph is also reminding that that our values have to be aligned, and so it's not only uh, you endorsing me, but I'm endorsing you by taking your shoes because I couldn't stay with Nike. So when I did that, I brought you street credibility, Armor Under Armour. So so you, I think, it's more like a merger, which I which I appreciate because it reminded people that this is not the old school, you know. Um, uh, endorsement relationship. This is really a partnership between two corporations, and it's the Steph Curry Inc. partnering with Under Armour Inc. And we need to be on the same page. And for me, I appreciate that, and I appreciate the creativity. I mean, every once in a while, step outside your zone, so you got a little sense of humor, and come back into it. But I would say that he probably—I don't know if he lost his his uh, Christian values. He might have slipped a little. <laughs> And, and, and maybe he did look like I said. Ain't nobody perfect. I'm not. I'm, and, and don't hear me say, folks, that, that I expect him to be perfect or sit around here and do these yeah. things. That, that's 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 not that's the furthest from the truth. But I am saying that him being Steph Curry, okay, he, he he's not Hank and D on the radio. He's Steph Curry. That's right. They see him all the time, and he's the one that's put himself out there. All right. And you're absolutely right. You're going into a merger. You're going into a merger that's going to reap great benefits for you as well as for that company. Know who you're going to business with. Know who you're going to bed with, okay? So don't sit out here and sign the deals and leave Nike and go over here and then all of a sudden want to call a chairman an ass because he's, he's entitled to his opinion just like you're entitled to yours. But see, you don't put yourself out there a little bit more so now, all right? So you've got to be cool. I understand what you're saying about being clever. Go on and be clever. But again, it, it really looks like this is what you're going to call me, but you just have no problem signing that contract. I'm just looking at the other side of it now. I, I understand, but I think, I think, I think 
that's that's mine. I bring as much value to Under Armour as Under Armour brings to me. And yeah. um and remember that. And so when we come back of this week, the biggest beef of this week, you see Hank is warmed up. I'm warming up. You will listen to one mic. When you come back, we're about to get into it deep about New York City. Uh, bought his own ticket 
and uh, they were going to ask him to leave. Now, they came up with like six, seven guys, and then more people started coming. And before you know it, he, he, put the, he, he gave him the finger in the forehead. Uh, and that's a big finger. And uh, before you know it, it, they would tackle and bring him out into the tunnel, and a whole bunch of other stuff happened. I sit back and I watch that incident, and I'm thinking to myself, how could it have been handled differently? All right. Now, this is what I'm thinking. I've heard a lot of different things. This is what I think happened. Oakley bought his own ticket. Oakley probably was yelling with fans, yelling stuff that everybody was yelling. Probably in the earshot of Dolan, who was probably sensitive at this time. Probably not directed at Dolan, but just yelling general stuff about the Knicks as, as a fan would yell. Dolan probably got irritated about it because Oakley's probably over there with fans yelling and probably not saying much. Uh, but Dolan's probably already irritated because he's there. He's not that far away. And does what petty people do, call security over it and say, I want him out. And uh, so two things can be true. Charles is probably yelling, probably not yelling at Dolan, probably yelling in general, talking to people loud, as people do when they're at, at football games or games, especially when the product's not very good. And Dolan got sensitive. That ended up in this kind of thing. I bet you when it's all said and done, that's probably what happened. Probably not enough for you to ask the kid to take him out. But then they do. Then he's out there, and you got an army. Now, I don't want to be the guy going to tell that Charles over to leave. Now, I stood next to the man. He's not somebody you want to ask to leave. And, 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 and you better off just sitting one person and sitting next to him and say, hey, Charles, you know, uh, uh, can we just go out here and talk for a minute? <laughs> I mean, don't say it's ten, just send one. Send one brave soul who can say, Hey, can we get to have a conversation for a minute down here? You know, something like that. But it went wild. And then the aftermath. The Knicks put out a press release basically uh, uh, uh insinuating uh that he has a drinking problem, all kinds of other stuff that that by all accounts everybody is saying is way off board. Oakley responds. He's on the air talking to people. It's a mess in New York. Hey, I've been waiting all week. What say you? Let me tell you something. I watched this, and I did the same sort of research that you did. Found out that James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks, uh, was not happy with some of the uh, – with, the, with the, how critical that uh, Oakley was with the uh, Knicks. Now, we kind of heard this kind of thing earlier this year, not with this team, but we kind of talked a little bit about it, D. If you recall, we were talking about that whole rift between um, Eric Dickerson and, and, and Fisher for the, the now-fired coach of the Rams. Uh, yeah. and, and it was about uh, Dickerson being critical of the Rams. Okay, remember that conversation to the point where Fisher all of a sudden wants to ban him from practices and ban him from uh, the games and this sort of thing. So we've seen this level of sensitivity when you've got inept play, when you've got teams that are that are just, just awful, and somebody, a Hall of Famer or somebody who used to be a part of the, uh, part of the uh, franchise being critical and somebody and hitting that nerve, okay, and all of a sudden all of what they want to do is retaliate. They want to take their little power and retaliate. I think this is the same sort of scenario we're seeing here in New York. I've watched what happened. They sent. Let me ask you this: 
okay? Somebody sends six cats at you, you ain't did nothing. How are you going to respond? Well, if y'all going to do this to me, there's got to be something going on. And you're That's absolutely right. right. Just out of respect for, for uh, Oakland, what they should have did was at least say, look, if they felt like he was being some sort of distraction, send somebody over there. At least give the man the respect as someone who played, you know, very hard for your franchise, you know, and, and give him that respect to either leave or so forth. He came over there with six guys. And then he went on TV and said that he had a drinking problem. He don't know if Charles Bar- I mean, Charles Oakley has a drinking problem or not. This is Dolan talking. He said he was all of these different things. And Oakley responded, well, we'll see in court. But what was done to Charles Oakley is what Dolan wanted to have to done to Charles Oakley, and that is to humiliate him on national TV. And all the people who were there that saw these things, I was saying what uh, Brad Doherty was saying, this was downright wrong. This was flat-out wrong, okay? Anybody, you don't see anybody being escorted out of there like they did uh, Charles Oakley. You just saw Charles Oakley was up in there starting a fight. The man was sitting in his chair. Okay, you don't see this done with even average fans what was done to him. This was deliberate, and I'll show you how deliberate it was and how Dolan tried to save face. Once they found out how bad this looked, he went and fired his head of security. I don't know if you know about that story, but he went and fired his head of security shortly after this event, saying mm. that, they were, that it was over and it was excessive. This is ridiculous. I personally hope that Charles, Hark, uh, Charles Oakley, you know, sues his pants off. That was totally unnecessary. And, and even if you watch the tape, you can't see until he is accosted. He, the guys are stepping up into his face, and then he's getting loud with them. And then all of a sudden, they got to take him out of there like that. I thought that was ridiculous. I thought that was wrong. I thought that was foul. And shame on James Dolan, not just for his uh, treatment of Charles Oakley, but his, also his treatment of the New York Knicks fans for having that bogus, ridiculous, Franchise have the audacity to call it the NBA franchise after all these years, okay? And you got a general manager over there don't know his head from his backside. If you gave him a GPS, simply because he got six rings from coaching superstars, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, you you, you hit on so many different good things. I mean, the thing that just throws me off the most about this there's some like this this. This this lack of understanding of how you work with legends, like you know, some franchises in a lot of sports, leverage legends to help maintain a level of climate and status with current players. There is a way in which you do it. I think, I think, uh, you know, uh, the Steelers do a lot of that. I think, you know, they uh, do a lot of that. You know where. The, the legends become part of the fabric and maintaining the culture. And you, with that Knicks team of the 90s, there is no better team to have around your current players than that Knicks team of the 90s that Oakley played with. If you if you want to have – I know uh, they said that, um, uh, to his credit, that Phil wants to try and get Oakley in to work with the big men. So I think Phil understands that, you know, getting some of the – these legends back in working with the organization um, is very important. I think that's one thing Phil understands, but to have an owner who is disconnected from that, not understanding that that's part of your value, that's part of your biggest sell when you're struggling, when if you can get in a point where you can take criticism from a person like Oakley but understand that he's family, that also endears you with your fans. The fact that you're not afraid to embrace and, and engage and understand that even as one of us, we're okay with you being critical. 
because we should have a better product. I mean, it's, it's that way of thinking that is, is terrible. So when you have cats like Dolan who are, you know, you don't make it that big without having an ego. The, the, the thing about it is, you know, he, he, he got inherited. So he, I'm not saying he didn't earn it, but he, he, I don't think he earned it. And when you get the money that way, you don't go through the same dog fights that your daddy went through or your mama went through. And right. so you don't have that same toughness. You were the cat that was around the building that they thought was, like, crazy when Oakley was probably playing, looking around at you. And now you got control of the team. And now you're going to exercise your power because you don't know how to handle um, anybody coming back at you. And that's how this played out, and it's ugly. And, and the crazy thing about it is Carmelo has got to be the person that, explaining it all the way. Like, he's the only one that people can go to to get a reasonable response, an adult mm-hmm. response, because they can't go to anybody else. It's, it's, it's crazy, and if I'm, a New York, if I'm a New York fan, you can't continue to pay for that product. No. And it's been bad for a while, and that's the thing about it. You've got Carmelo Anthony simply just want to play at home. All right, he's been part of trade rumors now for the last couple of years. He has no desire to want to leave New York. He wants to stay in New York. That's home to him. That's great. But the problem is, is that the front office, James Dolan, Phil Jackson, Phil Jackson, I think if, if nothing else Phil Jackson has proven, is that as great of a coach he, that, that, that he was, he's that inept as a general manager. This team is not ready to win, all right? And, it, and this is a major market in the NBA, a, a story franchise for the NBA. There's no excuse for them to be this bad. And then when you're starting to see legends from your past get escorted out, get dragged down, you know, in their suit, from all we saw, he was sitting there, all right, not bothering anybody. He was not, you know, uh, you wouldn't even know he was there until you saw security come over to it. Watch the tape. You wouldn't even know Charles Barkley was, oh, Charles Oakley, excuse me, was there unless you looked on the tape and you seen everybody in front of him, all right? It wasn't like he was being disrupted. And believe me, the camera will find you if you're being disrupted. Yeah. We know that, okay? We've seen it in the past where, look, I just asked another New York legend, Joe Namath. The, you know, he was drunk on, 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 on television. The camera will find you. We don't see this here, okay? Well, and then when you hear what the owner said, he didn't say this was an unfortunate incident and so forth. He went right after Oakley. That to me, I felt to be very inappropriate. You, you, you know, even if he thought head. that it was true, I found that to be very inappropriate from him in his position. And it's not you over yet. This thing's going to get uglier before it gets better. You just hit something right on the head. Now think about this. Think about what age we're in. When this incident happened, what midweek last week? Right. Right. You mean to tell me by now we haven't had any footage released? Showing Oakley coming into the arena yelling at people with all exactly. the cameras in that building. You, there's not one. There's not one that I haven't seen anything. Maybe you have. I haven't seen anything that supports their position that he was up. Like we, I, I, I didn't see anything other than the act. You mean to tell me with all the cameras in that arena, all them phones in that arena, that we don't have footage by now of him doing what they said he did? Exactly. Exactly. That's the part that that's that's the reason why I can't. It's hard for me to believe their side because I'm not. I haven't seen anything. You would only you would get that today. You get that in less than 24 hours. Somebody would be posting something showing Oakley acting a fool or disrespecting people walking in. It'd have so, been on TMZ the next day. The next day, and I, I, right now <laughs> I, we, we are we're, we're about three or four days away from the incident and nothing. 
And so for me, I'm like, okay, what are we talking about? What's going on? What are we talking about? So so from here on out, you know, so I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to focus on solutions. <laughs> you know, it, it, Adam Silver, the solution in New York, like when you're looking at it, how do you fix it? Well, here's the rest of the story, too. Now, uh, James Dolan has put a permanent ban on Charles Oakley uh, at Madison Square Garden. So he's not—he's no longer allowed in the building. So this thing sounds like it's more personal than anything else. That's number one. Number two, uh, here's, here's another developing story. Uh, your boy, LeBron James, had tweeted out after this all happened. You know how he called he called Oakley a legend. Moreover, and this is one we want to keep an eye on, D. Okay, we want to talk about this if this happens. But there is conversation that the New York Knicks plays the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers at Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland, where Charles Oakley is not banned. And then there is conversation that uh, LeBron himself may get tickets for Oakley to sit behind the New York bench. I think it would be real interesting that we keep an eye on that, you know. Now, there's your boy again being outspoken and might be stipping, dipping his toe into somewhere he shouldn't, but I'm going to tell you right now, I have the popcorn ready if that happens. <laughs> that that one, if that happens, I will be – I love it. I love, I love exercising that power. Right. You know, because I know the players – if I'm going to play on the Knicks, I love me some Charles Oakley. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm going to feel bad that he's not around. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm that kind of guy. Like, I like legends around. Mm-hmm. And for the players, it's got to be, for people like Carmelo and folks like that, that's got to not feel good. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they, I was surprised that Melo didn't buy the tickets. <laughs> you see, well, you know what? <laughs> that's a good, that, that, that is something, but. But let's go back to this legend thing. You you want guys that has won for you around your franchise, okay? Now, some guys, it's, it's good for them. For others, it's good for the franchise. You know, it, it, it kind of can get some guys whose days gone by. It kind of helps them to revisit what was a great time for them. And then especially when they still have love and admiration for that franchise which is it's clear that Oakley does. It's clear that when we talked about Eric Dickerson, you know, a few months ago, they have love for those franchises, you know. They want to be around them. They want to be able to say, hey, you know, I would like to offer my input to make this franchise, you know, something worth watching. And when you go and you mistreat them and you do those sort of things, there's no excuse for me. I mean, I think that those guys have earned that right to have a little bit of discretion, to be discreet with them, even if they're wrong, just because of who they are, and then and then, and, and to do the right things. I, I always go back to, you know, and I and I like to use history in these in these in these situations. I always go back to the interview when Joe Namath and and um, and uh, the the ESPN uh, what's the name uh, Cindy Culver, um, mm-hmm. I believe was the name. Culver. Yeah, oh, Susie Culver. Culver. That's yep. it, Susie Culver, uh, for on ESPN when he was interviewing with her, and he was toe down off his head. You knew it, and he said he wanted to kiss her. He was drunk, but the Jets organization, the NFL, they handled that like he was a like he was a veteran, like he was a legend as he was. They got him some help, 
okay? They didn't embarrass him. Now, he was somebody they could have escorted off the field. He was visibly drunk. Like I said, the camera will find you, mm-hmm. okay? So for them to do this to him, it looks really bad on the Knicks organization. It's saying to other guys, the alumni of that organization, I'm not going to be bothered as long as this owner is here because he's crazy. He doesn't have any That's respect right. for what he's done. Yeah. That's right. I mean, you got you got people like you got people like Doc thinking he had to leave the bench to go up there because that's his boy. That's who he played with. I mean, right. come on, right? Like he he got you know he's supposed to be coaching on the floor. He's thinking about going up there to uh, to back up Oakley. You know, and so you know, I think you know, and I think this is a perfect point. You know, everybody says, well, the uh, commissioner works for the owners, but I think this is this is an opportunity where the commissioner has to have a conversation with the owner. You know, right. you got to be able to say, look, we got to fix this. We got to do something about this. We got to figure out another out. You know, this is one of your marquee cities. This is, you know, where the headquarters is. This, this, this is. We've got to find a better way uh, to to address this and, and and deal with this. You know, this is this is the tipping point of every all the other things that are not going right, and we need to figure out how to fix it. And I, I think you're you're hitting it right on the head. And one of the things I can say about the NBA is that there, there's been a it's been a league that has done a really good job of having its young players understand its history and embrace uh, his history and embrace the legends. They do as a good a job on their all-star weekend of making the, the, the all-star, the legends feel part of that experience. The players talk about the legends. They engage them. When you talk about a league that has great continuity between its legends and its stars, the NBA is not the best, you know, is one of them. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, you know, uh, baseball does a good job. With it. But you're talking about just kind of a, the affinity and the way in which those players interact in, in informal environments all the time and connect. Um, I don't think there's a better league than that. And so to have something like this happen is a big step back for a league that has kind of put that as a priority. Right. There's a lot going on here. Um, one of the things I want to do, I want to move to something uh, here a little bit more positive. Tomorrow, I think UConn plays to win its 100th consecutive game. And I've been thinking about Gino Oriema and, you know, how we define, you know, the greatest coaches. Um, and people talk a lot of reasons why UConn is winning. And um, and I uh, heard McNabb talking today a little bit about um, he has a niece who's a uh, place for UConn. And that, like he said, Gino doesn't normally always get the, the number one player in the country to come play for him. But he has a system. He has a way in which players have played. He's he's pretty dogged about it. Pat Summit, another great coach who we we no longer have with us. But you know they won a hundred games in a row, man. What does that mean? Well, I'm gonna tell you, okay. And and it's gonna be kind of difficult to say this, but I'm just gonna say it. You have a handful of teams in women's basketball that are good, okay. And UConn don't play them every week. So while it is, and I don't want to cheapen the fact that they're going to win 100 games in a row, but it is the quintessential big fish in a small pond scenario. It just truly is. Now, you still they're still getting the best and the brightest at UConn because Gino Oriyama's been doing it for years and his chief rival for a long time, Pat Summit, like you said, is no longer with us. And you can't really name, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get an upstart uh, 
program every now and then. Like you get a Baylor every now and then. You'll get Tennessee maybe rise up. Notre Dame has got a nice little program over there. But it's easy. You know this. If you're going, if you can gear up for one game, you can gear up for one game. And if you're just, just you know, just more talented than that other team, then you're just going to get get it done. And that's what's happening with UConn. UConn now is the big fish in the little pond. And so they don't have a whole lot of talent. You don't have a whole lot of teams that you're talking about on the women's side that you're really paying a close attention to, all right? It's UConn and everybody else. So you can you can pile up a bunch of wins against a team that's got maybe one good player, maybe two good players, but you've got five and six and seven. You're one of the top recruiting teams every year, okay? And there's there's uh, I'm getting them all. So everybody else is being developed. but you And you'll see a team like here at Ann Arbor that wins 25, 30 games, one of the best seasons in the, uh, ever, but it pales in comparison to what's going on in Connecticut. And that's what happens. So over the course, and you're talking about probably, what, three, four seasons, they haven't lost a ball game. And that tells you a lot because while everybody else's programs are going to ebb and flow, they stay stay consistent at that plateau, and they will as long as you have Gino Oriyama as their coach. He knows what he's been doing. He's been doing it for the longest. And I wouldn't be surprised if they don't lose a game next year. Like I said, you can throw a handful of uh, programs out there. You can say Stanford. You can say anybody else, but that's one and done. And they've just been there, and and that's what's happening. And that's, like, again, I, I can't say it enough, big fish, little pond. Yeah, but I, but I also think that we still can call a great coach because, you know, that was the same thing for Wooden, same thing for Iba. You know, on the men's side, we talk about these coaches being great. It was the same thing. You know, in some ways you could say the women's game is, you know, in that 70s, 80s period of the men's game. Uh, but we, we didn't have a problem, you know, you know, talking about how good Bobby Knight was back in 76 when, you know, yes, there were a lot of great players, but some programs pretty much held it down. There was a handful holding it down through most of the 60s in the 70s for the same reasons you just said. And so, mm-hmm. you, you know, the reason why I give him that greatness is because that hasn't stopped us from talking about how great other coaches are historically, particularly on the men's side. And I, 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 I take nothing he, away. Kind of, I yeah. take nothing away from Gino Oriyama and how great he is as a coach. He's an amazing coach. I mean, he was kicking Pat Summers' butt when she was still coaching Tennessee, and Tennessee was that team on the on the block. So I'm not taking nothing away from him and what he's doing with his program. That being said, but you make a valid point. You know, women's basketball needs to evolve a little bit more, okay? Anytime you see a team, and you talk about the wooden teams in the 60s, you could even go back to in the NBA, you start talking about the Celtics winning nine and ten championships. What happens right there is you don't have the parity yet. You got that one program, and then all of a sudden now you might get another great coach that knows how to recruit that came from, might, might be a disciple of Oriyama or something like that. But you're still in the infant stages. It's starting to grow. It's starting to evolve a little bit more. That takes nothing away from what they're doing. But until you get, you know, a handful, maybe more than a handful, you get another team even in that conference that's able to challenge them, you know, every every year. Then you start to see the evolution of women's basketball. I think that you're still on the cusp of that happening, where it's mm-hmm. becoming more competitive league, but it's getting there. Yeah, it's getting there. 
And I, I mean, and I, as a, as a niece watching her go through and seeing the talent coming up the pool, the pipeline, um, it's only going to get more competitive across the country as we go, particularly over the next, I would say, eight to ten years. You're going to start to see um, it develop all over the country. The talent that's coming up through uh, uh, some of the pipeline programs and AAU. Um, it's, if you haven't had a chance to go out and see some of these young women, it's a whole different kind of game coming through. So I'm, I'm happy uh, they're going for 100. Uh, it's incredible, um, and uh, you know uh, we'll keep we'll keep uh, sharing our thoughts on it. We try to make sure we're giving a balanced perspective on a lot of different things happening here. And you know we've been talking about a lot of craziness, but it's always good to also uh, talk about some positive things that's going on in the world of sports um, like this. When you have you know, it's hard to be consistent. It's hard. You know, even though people talk about the differences between their team and other teams, it's hard to stay focused. It's hard to stay on top of things. You know, these, these are 18 to 21 year olds going to going to class, living with folks, living together. Um, a lot of stuff happens in their lives. It's hard to get people to show up and play every day, uh, no matter how good your uh, your, your talent uh, is. Uh, so. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta love it. Um, we got a little time here before we uh, I, I hand over uh, to to Hank to 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 drop the mic. Man, we got a lot of stuff happening here over the next uh, couple of months, um, and uh, we got you know this tournament uh, for uh, we talk about March Madness. Uh, we got we got uh, a lot of teams beginning to wake up. Um, it's just starting to tighten up here in college basketball. Uh, we got some off-season stuff uh, beginning to happen. We're getting into that winter league with baseball. Um, you're going to get into some free agency with football. Um, we're going to be, you know, hard seeing going towards the NBA playoffs. It's now become, um, really become a, a, a life of its own here in the, in the past five years. Um, what are you looking forward to? What are some of the things you're looking forward to over the next few months? In well, listen. I, I, I tell you right now, we really haven't talked a whole lot about it, but, you know, beginning this week, at the end of this week, pitchers and catchers, you know, report to spring training. And you know what that means. That means that spring is in the air and we're going to be hollering play ball really soon. That means we're going to be able to get back into inside the park a little bit more. I'm absolutely looking forward to that, to get us back onto the baseball track and start talking about right. what happened this past off season, what we got a chance to look forward to going forward. So I'm looking forward to that. But you know what? Football season never ends. Football season never ends. And if you're a football geek of any sort, you know that all we're doing right now is able to catch our breath because pretty soon we're going to be talking, talking about the combine. Then we're going to be talking about the draft. And, oh, by the way, college football fans, what do we look forward to when we get to April? The spring game. We want to see how all of these uh, young fellas that's, that's been recruited over the last couple of years and how do our favorite college football teams look. I'm looking forward to all of that. You know, obviously you got March Madness. It wraps this whole thing up in the bow. And before you can get done with that, here comes the NBA uh, uh, playoffs. So there's a lot that's going on, and I don't want to be—I don't want to forget our hockey fans out there. You know, that's that's always ongoing, and that's always fun when we start getting the playoff season. So there's a lot that's going on, a lot to keep us busy. D, we got a lot to talk about, and the thing is, we're all wrapped around this uh, political climate. It's going to be real interesting to see, man how that also uh, impacts what's going on on the field and on the courts and on the ice. 
Yeah, you know, you hit a lot of good stuff, and, uh, you know, uh, we're going to see if uh, Serena can run the table. Uh, we got Tiger coming back um, and, and seeing he's taking some, uh, a couple of, uh, 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 of these tournaments off uh, and trying to make his way towards the Masters. Uh, can he lift his head again? You know, most people have uh, basically given up on his comeback. Um, spring, you know, spring for us in the Midwest, you know, it's like, the, you know, things, the life is waking up. And so when all this stuff is happening, the weather's changing, uh, uh, all this stuff that happens in sports, we're going to try and cover. We're going to hit some deeper issues. Um, you know, you get a chance to make sure that you go to realsportsguys.com, uh, and check us out. You can hit our big show uh, with my guy Phil and uh, 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 and uh, Game Changer, uh, Marcus Flowers, uh, you know, our podcast uh, going there. Uh, you got to hit. Uh, you, you're gonna hear like like uh, Hank said. The inside of the park will be adapted into our one mic. Uh, we'll be going. We got hustle and flow. Um, uh, Marcus and say cool. You know we're gonna be adding new mixes too. We're gonna have something special coming here in the next couple of weeks. A uh, little partnership with uh, uh, a couple of uh, guys that I I know. One of my cats here, uh, the ESPN Madison Station, a little challenge around uh, some work here with Carbon World Health. We'll be dropping that one out there. So. You you might hear me on ESPN and hear a couple of those cats coming on here with us um, uh, uh, to talk a little bit of stuff. We got a lot brewing up, and then don't forget our RSC tournament. Don't forget it; it's a great tournament. We'll be throwing that out. Uh, if you, we'll have some great prizes uh, for it. Um, a great time. Um, we have some great participation. Been building over the past couple of years. So, um, if you have a chance to get to uh, check us out on Facebook. Uh, we usually post that uh, if you want to be part of the uh, uh, RSC Tourney Challenge. Uh, a lot coming up here. You know, we're just kicking off in the first quarter of 217. It's going to be great. But before we, as usual, when we're on one mic, we, we, we have one of us drop the mic. And uh, I'm going to ask Hank, Big Bang Hank, to drop the mic for tonight. You know, it's, it's my pleasure to drop the mic this afternoon. But I, I have to do it this way, okay? It's got to have a little bit of a local flavor i got to give you out today. today. Uh, earlier this week, uh, we lost here in the Detroit, Michigan area, uh, a great owner. Uh, Mike Illich passed away at the age of 87. Mike Illich was the owner of the Detroit Tigers as well as the Detroit Red Wings. He also was the owner of Little Caesars Pizza uh, and, 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 and the Fox Theater in Detroit. Mike Owner, Mike Illich has done so much for uh, Southeast Michigan, for the state of Michigan, just because of his ownership with the Red Wings, you know, bringing home four Stanley Cups, taking over the Detroit Tigers in which they won uh, three division championships as well as a 3-2, uh, 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 a couple of, of uh, appearances in the World Series. What Mike Illich did more than anything else is he gave fans around here an opportunity to believe, an opportunity to think that each and every year our team had a chance to win. You know, there's ownerships out there. We just got through talking about James Dolan. We talked about Ronald Rod Sterling, you know, like a couple of years ago. Just always did things, you know, that's controversial. You know, you hear some type of ownerships that you just feel like they're out there to collect a paycheck for themselves and just to keep on adding to their pocket and that the team is just an afterthought. And you have so many fans that are so frustrated, they're diehard, they love their teams, they love wearing their team colors and just don't feel like no one cares except them. That was farther from the truth with Mike Illich. 
you had you ask any Red Wing fan, they would tell you that as long as Mike Illich owned the Red Wings, that there was a chance to win the Stanley Cup and bring it home. You ask every Detroit Tiger fan, as long as Mike Illich owned the team, you just felt like he was going to make that move. He was going to do that one thing that was going to get that team over the top. That's the reason why you have players with the Detroit Tigers. There's once upon a time you had a Prince Fielder, that you have a Miguel Cabrera, that you have a Justin Verlander, that you had a Steve Eiserman if you're on the Red Wing side, that you had uh, a Paul Coffey if you're on the Red Wing side, if you had Hall of Fame goaltenders like a like a, like a Hashik, Dominic Hashik, because there was always one key component with this man as long as he owned the team, and that was to do anything and everything that he possibly could do to make sure that each and every year that each uh, that every each and every fan of these teams knew that I was going to give it everything that I could do to make us win. And I will say this to uh, the, the Mike Illich family, you know, uh, peace be with you. And I want to say, Mr. I, on behalf of all the fans of all your teams and everything that you've ever done, we say thank you. Thank you so much for a lifetime work of work. God bless your family and rest easy, young man. You have done a fabulous job. 